Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Julia Megan Vaughan, raised amid Vermont's scenic beauty, found her passion for photography from her first 35mm camera. Now based in Portland, Oregon, she captures moments in nature that bring joy and serenity. Witnessing glorious sunsets, the vast night sky, or a bee on a flower makes her come alive. Julia shares these moments through her images, aiming to evoke wonder and connection. As a photographer, she offers fine art nature prints, infusing homes with the planet's beauty. Her work, born from a love for outdoor adventures, displays special places and moments, embodying the magic found in nature's details. We discuss her experiences moving from Vermont to Portland, Oregon, via the San Francisco Bay Area the therapeutic influence photography has had on her life, and how this art has become her coping mechanism against stress. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Julia. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Doing well, Grant. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Why don't we start with who you are, and you can talk a little bit about why you got into photography. Sure. So I would say I am a landscape, nightscape, and macro photographer. I'm based in Portland, Oregon in the U.S., and I moved here last year after 16 years in the Bay Area of California. Uh, I grew up in green, very forested Vermont on the east coast of the U.S., and I spent my childhood playing in the woods, hiking, biking, canoeing, cross-country skiing, really everything outside with my family partly because there's not a lot else to do there. <laughs> uh, my parents' road still doesn't have cable TV. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm grateful for that grounding in nature when I was young. I did take a break from that in my like teenage and college years and then came back to it after a few years after college when I started hiking again as an adult. And as an adult, spending time outside has been one of my best coping mechanisms <laughs> for dealing with stress. And I've heard this from a lot of other people as well. But so as far as what got me to dive deeper into nature photography, I was already hiking. I was already spending time outside. I got my first camera when I was 18 and about to go overseas for the first time. It was just a Mm -hmm. film point and shoot. And after that, I just, I always had a point and shoot camera. I had no idea what I was doing, (laughs) but I loved recording moments and sharing them like I always loved the sharing as well I'd make photo albums I would show them to friends and that sort of thing and then I bought my first DSLR a little over 10 years ago and took an intro class and was interested but I generally found the camera too big to bring a lot of places okay and that changed when I went to New Zealand on vacation when I saw the difference that a DSLR made in just the quality of my photos afterwards. And again, I still, I was shooting on auto. I had no idea what I was doing. It was just whatever caught my eye. (laughs) I would take the picture. And then again, it was another couple years of kind of a pause, just working, living. But then I left a really stressful job and my sort of gift to myself was a nature photography class. So that I would have something to look forward to. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going to do this for me. And 
I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had all these homework assignments. Um, we saw photos, the first, I think it was the first photos of the Milky Way I ever saw was in that class. So I was intrigued and started using my camera more and started bringing it hiking and started um, diving in a little deeper. And then maybe almost a year into that, my marriage at the time fell apart. Okay. And I hear from a lot of other people that like crisis in their life <laughs> makes them dive into photography. And that was the case for me. That was how I coped. Being outside, yeah. it's like the only place where my felt like my problems in my life were put in perspective. I am this tiny little person on this giant, beautiful planet. And look at this bee on a flower. Look at the raindrops mm -hmm. on a twig. <laughs> it just focused my attention. And yeah. that mindfulness was really healing. So I credit both exercise and being outside. That was how I got through that period mm -hmm. in my life. And my, I, I call it my first year of, of photography. That's when I started going out for sunset, going out specifically to take pictures, not just yeah. because I was going hiking and brought the camera. Uh, and my first year I took about 40,000 pictures. So I, trained my eye. I'd get back home and I'd look at the pictures afterwards and I'd compare, is this one better or is that one better? And I'd flip back and forth like 20 times and finally see something that made one image better than the other, I thought. And that that sort of started me down this path and and I got hooked. And, <laughs> and I did get a job again. And now it's, I still, I work full time. It's every moment that I can outside of work and what life demands and all that. I would choose to spend it on photography, whether that's actually going out and taking the photos or processing them. I love both. So do you find it more about that relaxation and healing process now than it uh, was in the beginning? Obviously, going out hiking and being in the outdoors you're taking shots of what you see where is it in in your life is it more about that healing and relaxation or is it more about creating art that's a great question i would say it has shifted it, it still fulfills that need in me that mindfulness that focus that getting rid of my day-to-day -day problems but it's now much more about making a compelling image while I'm at it <laughs> when yeah. and I can and I try not to pressure myself like that but it's more about the photography itself and the art now sure sure and what motivates you creatively in terms of the 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 art and the the uniqueness of the images that you want to create I'd say what motivates me the most is just the beauty of nature like I I am one of those people that I'm just outside. I'm like, wow, look at the bumblebee sleeping in this flower. Like this plant is so cool. I feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss book or look at the light on the clouds as we're just driving down the road. I do that all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. that is, that's what I'm after. That's the joy, the emotion, the wonder in the world that I want to capture. And if my images can help either capture that emotion and that that place and that time and what I was feeling 
either for myself or if I can help convey that to someone else, that I find really fulfilling. It doesn't always happen, but (laughs) when it does, that's what keeps me coming back. Sure. In terms of how you go about your photography, is it a planned event or is it something that's more spontaneous? Do you just go, okay, I'm going there and whatever I see and... Or is it more, okay, I'm pre-visualizing the image that I want to take and I'm going there deliberately to take that image? It's a mix. I would say my night images are a little bit more heavily planned than the rest yeah, of them. Kind of um, the and- <laughs> yeah, you need to know <laughs> where the Milky Way is going to be above mm-hmm. what and at what time. And I will often blend images for my night shots because I like I really like a blue hour foreground for the less noise and quality and all that. So that means I need to be there while it's still light. And so it's it's a little bit more planned, but I'm not planning my composition ahead of time. Like I know generally where I'm going to be. Um, and then I go there and I look and I just see what catches my eye. What do I think would be compelling? there's going to be a reflection or a nice like rock in the foreground or something. Yeah. Uh, and then other times I'm just going like it's because I, I moved to Portland, like I said, last year. So I don't know my way around here yet. So I'll just go. I'm like, I, I see some photos online of this waterfall. It looks beautiful. I'm going to go there. And yeah. I don't know what's going to catch my eye. It's going to be, it might be I'm hiking next to a Creek and I keep seeing little tiny cascades or, intimate scenes that catch my eye and that's what I end up focusing on. Or it may be there's no creek next to me and I get to the waterfall and that's what I'm shooting. Uh, so I, I try to keep it open and I find that sometimes when I do have a loose plan, whatever might catch my eye on the way there or the way back, that I need to listen to that voice in my head that's saying, ooh, look at that. Um, because those images I find are the ones that are more unique and show my voice more. And they're the ones that if I don't stop, and I, I might not stop just because my camera gear is all in my bag and I don't want to take it off and take everything out and switch my lens and set up the tripod. I, sometimes I just don't feel like doing that, but I regret it. Those images are the ones that I regret because I'm like, that called to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've learned to limit, to, to listen to that voice, even if it means I'm going to be too late for the light at my planned spot. So that's a, it's a constant battle, but I try to stop now. <laughs> Fair enough. I think with a lot of photographers, place plays a big part in why they're living in the places that they live or moving to the places that they live move to did the call of the pacific northwest and the photography side of things have a big part in your decision to move to portland yes <laughs> of course it was a factor i so i moved with my husband who i met sure. right before the pandemic and when we decided to leave the bay area we were considering where should we go we thought about moving back to vermont where my mom and stepdad still are and mm. be great to be close to them and it's also beautiful there but then there are so many bugs there and <laughs> the night skies are not as dark and there are reasons not to do that yeah. and i generally don't like the weather most of the year we were factoring in things like natural disasters 
do I want to live in a forest with global climate change and forest fires, wildfires being so much more prevalent? Not really. Even though I might rather live in a more peaceful place, not in a city, I don't really want to go through the stress of worrying if my home is going to burn. Yeah. yeah. So that was part of it too. And considered Colorado, but Portland on our visit just felt right. Mm. And also knowing there's so much beauty here. There's so many waterfalls. The Columbia River Gorge is just, what, 40 minutes away. The coasts, there's so much. That was definitely a big part of it. You, you sport for choice, the mountains, the forests, the coasts, everything. Yeah. To Northwest. It's still on my bucket list. I still haven't been, but. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. It's worth it. Do you set yourself goals in your photography? And if so, what sort of goals are they? I, I have been trying to make my photography more of a business for the past yeah. couple of years. And I've intended, I want to start running workshops. I want to link because people express interest. They, they see my images. They're like, I want to do that. Can you bring me? Especially mm. lots of women who see my night sky images. They're like, I don't feel safe going out by myself. Like if you ran a workshop to do this, I would love to learn how to do that and yeah. you know, feel safe in a group. And I want to bring that to people. It's an amazing experience that has changed my life. So I want to do that. But life keeps having other plans. <laughs> so <laughs> turn, turns out buying a hundred year old house, there's a lot to take care of. Yeah, so I don't know I that feel photography like... would support that that kind of um that that cost. No. So I guess I have goals. I don't really set like a rigid timeline, uh, sure. but this is still that's the direction that I want to go in. Mm. Uh, and I really I love, love teaching. So opportunities that present themselves. I'm presenting to a camera club in a week. <laughs> which is fun. So I've started doing that and I really enjoy it. Excellent. Excellent. What role does experimentation play in your photography? How much do you try to step outside your comfort zone? I guess I do some. <laughs> I try. There are times when I'll go to a new location and uh, I might try something new. I might try I'm thinking of a year ago. I went, I ended up, I was sh shooting through like a frame of branches with droplets on them. Mm -hmm. And I loved the effect, but I didn't really have a compelling subject on yeah. the other end. <laughs> so I was like, that's a great technique. It's something I want to try again, but it didn't work this time. I'm, I'm glad I tried it. Or it may be, I'll go to a location and I'll find the conditions aren't what I think would do the best justice to this scene and so i want to come back at another time as far as I, sometimes i need a push <laughs> sometimes i'll take a workshop from someone who i know does things differently than i do for that push because it doesn't occur to me to try icm most of the time when i'm out in the field i'm just used to doing my standard like focus stacked or either intimate or large scenes so i try I, I think it's important for growth yeah definitely 
Speaking about growth, how do you see your style has developed from where you started to where you are now? And where do you see your style going? I think I have a clearer sense of what I love. And so I now, when I started out, I was just like, I'll take a picture of whatever catches my eye. And I guess I still do that to some extent, but now I know I love droplets. I love bees on flowers. I love geometry in nature. Um, I love strong diagonals. And those are the things that will really catch my eye. I value composition more than just about anything. So it helps to know those things about myself. And then as far as growth, I would say during the pandemic, I spent so many hours watching webinars or tutorials or various things about processing. And so that's, I think, been the biggest change in my photography in the past few years is just my processing is just leaps and bounds beyond where it was at first. At at first, I would spend 10 minutes on an image. It was Lightroom only. Bump up the shadows, bump down the highlights, and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm spending 30 minutes to two, three hours, more for some, but yeah yeah so i'm more i'm more fine-tuning and bringing it to life in a different in, way. in terms of the processing you use straight into the editing after you get back from a a trip or a, a shoot it varies a little bit so usually i will so if it's a longer trip like a few days i usually will be sleep deprived like especially if it, i was shooting night sky and i'll yeah, try yeah. i'll pick up my computer and try to edit and i'll fall asleep the first three four days so once i'm past that i will usually process my favorite first i go through all the culling i'll rate my images i'll choose my top three five usually around there depending on the length of the trip for a long trip where i shot three thousand images i might get up to 20 or 25 but i'll usually process just the first few and then I'll go shoot again, and then I'll work on the top one or two or three out of that one. And so they languish. I know, like all of us, we have a big backlog. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. got two trips to death front to Death Valley earlier this year that I've barely touched. And so Do you have a lot there. So backlog and get into those. Yeah, and I'm actually looking forward. I, so here in Portland, winter is very rainy, and it's harder to motivate myself to get out but i also relish that time because then i I have more time for processing so i can go back i do also want to remind myself take advantage of the clearing storms or the storms coming in because the light and the clouds and everything so don't never go out but take advantage of some of that time yeah how do you define success in your photography in a lot of different ways so one is do i feel better than I did before I went out? And the answer is almost always yes. Like I said, time outside really puts my problems in perspective, lets me release some of the stress from just daily life that I carry around like all of us do. Uh, It might be like, did I learn something? Did I try something that maybe did or maybe didn't work that I might want to add to my repertoire for next time? Did I make an image I'm excited about? Sometimes I find the image that I'm excited about in the field is not the one that actually works the best when I get back and and start looking at them. But either way, if I'm excited about something I made, 
that's success. I try not to tie my perceptions of success to social media, especially now that Instagram shows almost no one anything that I do. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but, feeling you know, that at the moment too. <laughs> yeah. Or it might be, it might be I get a comment from someone I really respect and that yeah. matters so much more to me than the number of likes I'm getting or that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Where does social media fit into your overall thinking around photography? Do you take images specifically to post on social media or is it more, this is something that's worth sharing and therefore you share it? I would say I don't take images for social media in terms like there was a time when I did do a lot more vertical compositions because I knew they look, they'd play better on social media on yep. um, Instagram. I stopped doing that once I made my photography website. I'm like, oh, I actually need horizontal images for that. And so I try to do both. It's not all about social media. But I guess, like I mentioned, even early on in high school with my point and shoot, sharing was always part of the process for me. I've always loved sharing that moment that I captured. It's not so much about social media. It's just that's a vehicle to do that. And... I like to see what other people are working on. I like it for that. Mm, yeah. I think one of the things that has been missing, it's there in patches in places, less so on Instagram, but the ability to actually communicate and develop some form of community with people. There are patches where you can do that and... Instagram's not necessarily the best place for that, but yeah. Agreed. What, what's your experience with developing community in uh, social media? So I think we know of each other from Vero. So I find that, so I, I joined Vero like maybe one month into when I really dove into nature photography. And so I mm -hmm. feel like I've grown up there and I guess the same could be said for Instagram, but it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. There's just more interaction with the same people over time on Barrow. And so I value that. And that's what it feels like a community. So there's people I follow there that it's because they're like old friends, not, sure, not because sure. they're professional nature photographers, which is most of who I follow yeah. these days. And then also during the pandemic, so I joined Women Capture Magic. I know you had Kristen Ryan on a while yep. back. So that was amazing. I loved meeting other women in nature photography because there's a lot of us, but it's still very heavily male dominated, especially in night photography. And I actually met some of my closest photography friends through that platform, through that hub. And so it's incredibly valuable. And now we have a group chat. Uh, I'm going to name drop here. Yeah, Julie Boyd, Maricel Quesada, and Michelle Jacobet. We have a group chat going and we are just constantly sharing images, asking for feedback, supporting each other, commiserating over lack of engagement, whatever it is, we're <laughs> there for each other all the time. And I value them so much. And I would not have met them if not for Kristen and her Women Capture Magic community. It has, and I, let's see, and I met my friend Kirk here in Portland through presenting on Out of Chicago Live last year. 
a conference isn't quite the same, but it's, that was how I met my friend that I go shoot with the most in this new place. And he shows me around, which is incredibly valuable. Fantastic. Um, Yeah. the, The relationships matter. Yeah, absolutely. I think those communities where you can actually share information and as you say, commiserate about not getting the engagement that you'd like <laughs> it, it is absolutely valuable and there's a few facebook groups that i'm a part of where that sort of community-minded chat and so forth is it, it comes to the fore as opposed to just here's my picture give me some likes and right. you know for me that's far more valuable. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago, I was part of a um, photography forum. So it was more like the old BBS chat board sort of thing. And one of the things that did was actually encourage constructive criticism. And mm. I think that's one of the things that is a bit lacking in most social media is that ability to actually get constructive criticism from people that are like-minded they you i i think learning to take criticism and also learning to give that sort of constructive criticism is an important part of learning to understand your own photography much better has any of that played a part in your photography life yeah so i would say so again my three friends that i just mentioned and our chat some of them I'm still fairly new. I've been doing nature photography for what, like six years now. Mm-hmm. And some of them have been doing it for far longer and their processing skills were far more advanced. And so I learned so much <laughs> from their suggestions, even just in our the tiny little image that we can share in our group chat. So that was incredibly helpful. And then I also, I joined Nature Photographers Network because yep. of the critiquing and I, have not spent as much time there as I would have liked, but I do, I I posted one of my images and got some great feedback. And I love reading the critiques of other people's work because yeah, I learn a lot. Yeah, it's amazing how much, if you've got people that are willing to give, as I say, that, that constructive criticism, it, it makes a, a massive difference. And I had my first taste of giving constructive criticism in a more public forum as part of my out of chicago live experience i i co-hosted a submit your image and get feedback a oh, critique cool. session yeah. and we had a night a bunch of night sky images it was really interesting we want to be kind and highlight the positives but also give them something to think about and learn from Gen- gently it's to me it's always got to be encouraging as opposed to tearing down it can be challenging if if the image is truly awful many technical (laughs) faults and so forth you've got to be be very careful about how you approach some of those yes thankfully we didn't have any of those (laughs) most most images aren't truly awful there's always something that you can say nice about it yeah there is you mentioned the use of blending and time blending in particular with your photography how do you balance that desire to create something that's original and unique with the light that you want with the need also to stay true to how the natural environment's presenting itself 
That's a tough question. So I generally, my, my style is pretty natural. Like I would say, I try to be true to the scene. I am not taking away big things that were there. I, mm-hmm. my, I got into using Photoshop for blending purposes, like for focus yeah. stacking and blue hour blends. That is why I mostly use yeah. it. Now I use it because of luminosity masking and that's where I do most of my editing, but but staying true to the reality of the scene is really important to me. Like, I don't want to mislead people. I don't want someone to go to a place that I shared an image of and see, oh, there's actually telephone wires running like right through that scene. And I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, so I, I would disclose that. If I did take out something like that, then I would share that. Um, but that's not that common for me. Um, I might clean up some minor distractions, but as far as blending goes i i really want print quality images like that's what i'm after i don't sell a whole lot of prints but i want them to be print quality and um, i prefer i prefer the quality of a blue hour blend for night images i like having less noise in my foreground i like being able to focus stack it while i can still see without shining lights everywhere and yeah, I just, I like being able to pull out more detail, I, like more detail, more dimension. And I like the the kind of side light that I usually get from a blue hour foreground. So I just find it more compelling. You know, I do play with lights too. Sometimes I'll go to a location and I'm shooting five different compositions in one night. And I'm obviously only the first one can be a blue hour blend. So oh. then I've got to either use light or blend with a really long exposure for the foreground. I just, when I can, I like a blue hour blend. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> What's your favorite spot to shoot? And one that just keeps calling you back that says it's the place you want to be. I have two answers to that. One is back in the Bay Area and I moved away from it. And it is the hardest thing about having moved. And that is Mount Tamil Pius mm-hmm. and the flowing fog that happens in the summer. Yep. That was my absolute favorite place and subject my my husband and i got married there i love it so much and it was so much fun because every time i wouldn't know how high the fog was so i'd drive up there and then look and see okay where is it this time oh i I think i can go to this area Mm. so it was always different and when it would be like total peak conditions with that thick fog like just flowing over a hillside oh my god it's like the prettiest thing in the world so it's really hard to not have that anymore. And it's not, doesn't happen constantly. So I can't say oh, like, yeah, oh, I'm going to go spot. back for a week in August and I'll shoot the fog. It might not be there. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's it. So that's one of my places. And then my other one um, is Death Valley. So I, I started going there in my first year of nature photography. And I've been back a bunch of times. Um, it's a really interesting place because I think it's just so different from where I grew up. Where I grew up is green, it's forested, it's feels closed in a little bit, like it's intimate. And Death Valley, you get there and it's just, it's huge. It's wide open. It is vast. It looks barren at first glance. But that is where I saw leading lines 
everywhere. My first trip, I was like a kid in a candy store. It's like the between the mud cracks and the salt ridges and just everything was a leading line. And so I, I love it there for you can shoot any kind of lens, any focal length. There is always something. Yeah. And when the light gets low and the sun gets near the horizon, just all the, the rocks and the cliffs and just everything comes to life in these warm colors that in the day it looks drab. But um, when the light is right, oh, it's magic. And I, I just, the openness of it, I feel like I can breathe there like almost nowhere else. Yeah. What's your most memorable experience out shooting? I'm going to say this last summer was really the first time I shot a meteor shower. Okay. And you'd think that as a nightscaper, like that would be something I do every <laughs> year. But this time it fell on a new moon and a weekend. Nice. So it was just everything aligned. And I, for the Perseids, I went up to the uh, Seattle area and met up with two of my photo friends and my friend Julie had picked out a location near Mount Rainier that was not Reflection Lake where everyone in the world was. This was a different lake that I'm not going to share. <laughs> and it was just us. It was the three of us. We had a picnic blanket to lay on. We set up our, we shot our blue hour foregrounds. We set up our time lapses. And then we just got to lay back on the no. blanket, let the time lapses run. And it was incredible. Usually I'm so active. I'm pressing buttons, I'm changing settings, I'm recomposing. But because I was doing time lapses, like there was nothing to do with the camera. So I just got to enjoy it. Mm, and just yeah. every meteor, like I captured maybe 50, 53, maybe in frame wow. in one of my time lapses. But just we saw so many more than that because they're up, you know, above us in the sky. So it's just, wow, wow, did you see that? <laughs> and it was incredible. And, and to share that experience with two of my great friends, um, that was amazing. Fantastic. What about horror stories? I don't know if I'd call this. So I have not, I've been lucky enough to knock on wood here, lucky enough to not have anything terrible happen so far <laughs> when I'm out shooting. Um, but I will share one adventure I went on in Pinnacles National Park in California uh, mm -hmm. a couple years ago. My husband and I, this was one week after we got married, and I had a shot that I wanted to create. I almost never include people in my images, but I wanted to do a self-portrait of the two of us in our wedding attire with the Milky Way. And so we got there. It was at, in the summer. That park is very hot. So we got there and we needed to hike up three miles uphill, and it was Almost you didn't do that in your wedding dress, surely. Fahrenheit? No, I we carried it. But it was, it, but it was very hot. So my husband, my new husband, carried our wedding clothes up this mountain in a hundred degree weather, while I carried the backpack with all the camera gear and a light stand and my tripod and all the stuff. And so we hike up, and I found a spot. And I, it, there's a lot of rock formations there, and I wanted an area that was open like not too busy to detract from us being the focus of the image so. um so i found a good spot um we set up 
And I, it was ended up being a three-part image. I shot the landscape in blue hour, brought out the lights and photographed us, and then waited like an hour and a half for the Milky Way to like rotate into position and then shot the sky. Um, so that all went fine. Uh, just a side funny story is um, I needed to set the lighting right and get my exposure right for the part with us in it. I needed my dress to be in the photo, but I also needed to be behind my camera. So my husband was holding my dress while I was standing on the top of a mountain in my hiking boots, Spanx, and a strapless bra <laughs> behind my camera <laughs> setting up this image. <laughs> but it all worked out. We got the image. And then as we were hiking back down, the entire trail was covered in tarantulas and scorpions. Oh, wow. And I know this is like normal for you in Australia. <laughs> This is not normal for us. And so I had not, like I had seen tarantulas in the wild before, but it was everywhere. It was the whole trail. And I ended up, I was holding my headlamp in my hand so that I'd have a lower angle and the creatures would cast a shadow so I could see them better <laughs> because I definitely did not want to step on any of those. The tarantulas ran away into holes, but the, the, the scorpions didn't. Scorpions just hang around. They'll, yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll <laughs> yeah. So that was creepy and quite a story and there are, there are things that i will put up with for photography that, that i would never do otherwise <laughs> but the the sort of clincher to this story so we got back down and for pinnacles national park unless you want to drive an hour you have to stay at the campground so yep. we had a tent and we discovered that in our rush to get up the mountain with our wedding clothes we had left the tent unzipped now imagine after seeing all of those creepy crawly creatures the whole way down the mountain, how much you want to climb in your sleeping bag in a wide open tent. Mm -hmm. So at three in the morning, we were shaking all of that stuff out outside the tent, shining the light in every single corner to make sure that there was nothing there. So could have been a horror story, but it wasn't. Oh, pleased to hear that. <laughs> what have you learned about the world through photography other than shaking out your sleeping bag before getting in? <laughs> What have I learned about the world? That is a big question. I guess I've mostly learned that there is so much beauty and just go out and explore it and experience it. There are so many things that I would never have seen. I would never have made the trip to if not for photography motivating mm -hmm. me. So I'm grateful for that. And one of the things sometimes the weather doesn't look perfect or I'm not sure if the conditions are going to be right and I'm on the couch and like do I really want to go is it going to be worth it and then I just remind myself how many great photos do I get from the couch so just go you could put the slideshows up on the tv and take some shots <laughs> there <laughs> not, yeah. not quite the same though is it <laughs> not quite talking about those times when you're not feeling it or you're not feeling like getting out or you're not feeling creative how do you handle that and what do you do to motivate yourself yeah one is i try to let that be okay like it's okay to be creatively exhausted and take a break forcing it i don't want it to feel like a chore i don't want it to feel like something i have to do i want it to feel like something that brings me great joy because it does mm -hmm. <laughs> and I I want to keep that. So that's one. And then another thing I do is I will try something other than my usual subjects. I found 
during the early part of the pandemic, everything was shut down. We're not allowed to go anywhere for sunset or all we could do is walk around the neighborhood. And yep. so I didn't take any photos for like two months. And then finally, when I picked up my camera again, I started small. So I put on my macro lens and I would use it just out on walks, photographing flowers in neighbors' yards. And I find that often helps me get started again. It's like less mm -hmm. intimidating to start small like that. So that's a, my macro lens is a tool that helps me overcome a slump. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Do you prefer taking photos alone or with other people? You mentioned being out there, Mount Rainier with friends. Is that your preferred yeah. mode? I would say when I have the choice, I will almost always choose to shoot with other people. Okay. But there are times that I need it for my mental health. I need it to help with my anxiety or my stress. And when that's the case, an, a solo outing can be really healing for me. Mm. So I guess either way, it just depends. And there are times when I would prefer to go out with someone else and just no one's available. And so I don't let that hold me back. I'm very determined. There are times I could tell you two different stories of going out for a night shot that I had something I really wanted. I wanted this image. I wanted to get a certain, not necessarily composition, but I had an idea and yep. I don't let things stand in my way. Okay. <laughs> I do it as safely as I can, sure. but I will go out anyway. Okay. You had mentioned you'd like to get print quality images. What are you doing other than your blending sort of things? What are you doing to ensure that you've actually got that print quality? And what do you do that, I, I guess, makes it print quality in your eyes? I'd say this is still a work in progress. I don't currently print at home. And that okay. is the biggest thing that I need to change in order to make sure I have print quality images. But some of the things are scanning every inch of a night sky image for hot pixels mm. or just making sure those tiny little distractions are not there, making sure I don't have sensor spots, reducing noise. I definitely don't want a noisy image going to print. Let's see. Making sure it's sharp front to back. That's yep. why I focus stack. There are lots of times when I don't feel like it. I would rather not focus stack. It's a, it's a pain <laughs> to process it and to shoot it. But I know for the best quality image, I need to do that sometimes. So I will. Fair enough. What do you say is the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? The fact that everyone is a photographer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that phones keep getting better and better. And so it's harder to stand out. It's harder to be unique. That's what comes to mind. And as phones, I, I predict there will come a time when phones are as good as cameras. And then what are photographers, what do we really have to offer yeah. except for family portraits and pet portraits and things like capturing people, like loved ones. Yeah. If if anyone on their phone can capture an image as beautiful as what I can do with my camera and multiple as hour, hours of processing, then why? how is this worth it? Um, I, I don't think we're there yet, I think, especially for long exposures and night sky. There's still some areas of photography where, where 
you, you need a camera. And then there's, I don't know, more creative tech. I guess maybe it'll push us to get more creative mm. Um, mm. to do more like multiple exposures or ICM or blending. I don't know. What do you say is the future of photography? Oh, I have no idea. I try not to think that big. <laughs> it's because of what photography does for me and, and helping me cope with life. As long as it's doing that for me, I don't, I'm not really worried about AI taking over or, I don't know. I'll just adapt and learn as things change. Fair enough. What's your favorite thing about being a photographer? Endless options for decorating my home. <laughs> <laughs> there is no need for an empty wall. <laughs> That's very true. Um, though I say that and my house that we bought a year ago still has empty walls because of course I don't want to put old things on the wall. I need to print the new ones because I get tired of them. <laughs> you can always keep a, a collection and just change them as the seasons change, for example. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But no, my favorite thing, I don't know, I guess bringing beauty to the world. Um, mm. I think that has value. What about the least favorite thing? Least favorite. Gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I have everything I need for five minutes and then there's some new thing. Oh, this would help. This would make my photography better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, um, a, a very good way of resisting that oh yeah yeah i just let my wife i let my wife decide whether or not i can have it (laughs) that's that's helpful my my husband is very supportive of my photography and he says yes you should get it all the time and so then it has to be me that i'm like is it do i really need this do i really is it really worth it one of the things that you you mentioned right at the, the the beginning was the storytelling or narrative in your photography how do you incorporate that into what you do so in both my social media posts and on my website almost every image has a bit of a story i like sharing what happened what led me there what caught my eye what do i like about it just something about it And I have gotten some feedback from folks saying that they really enjoy that and I should include those stories, continue to include them. So I do. And it's fun. It's fun to share experiences with people and then they will share one back and relate. And that's part of how you build community. I see other images where it's just a title or it's just hashtags (laughs) and it's not, you don't have the same connection, I think. So I love that. And one, I'll share in a, a recent, fairly recent example. So this was an example of me not letting it stand in my way when no one could come with me. So I, there was a waterfall where the Milky Way aligned in September. And I knew about this from my friend Kirk, who had researched this previously. So I ended up going for the first time with my husband and We hiked in, it's about a two mile hike in Mm -hmm. um, along a creek and all forested. This is in Mount Hood National Forest. So it's deep in the woods. (laughs) So we hike in, I'm playing with the little creek and taking photos along the way. We get there and we tried, I tried out a couple of different compositions. I used some lights. I tried a self portrait, which I almost never do, but I don't know, something possessed me and I decided to try one. 
And I had already planned a return trip the following weekend with my friend Kirk. So then the two of us went and we had two lights this time and tried out some different compositions. And I had one, there'd been one uh, composition I spotted the first time that I wanted to do as a blue hour blend because it was just really dark and I would have needed like a 15 minute exposure <laughs> to get any detail in the foreground otherwise. So I did that one and then we wanted to do a second composition, but the first one took so long, we had missed the Milky Way alignment. And I don't do things like fake it. I won't put a sky from somewhere else at some other time or the weekend before. I just, for me, that's not right <laughs> for me. Yeah. I don't do that. And so I wanted to come back. I wanted to come a third time. And that time I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew I wanted to be standing right by the creek under the waterfall where normally you can't stand there because there's too much spray. But for, I guess the water flow was low enough that we actually could. Great leading line, beautiful waterfall, night sky. And I knew exactly what I wanted. There were only three more days of the year that alignment would happen and that the moon would not be in the sky. The first two days, I it was cloudy or I had to work or I don't know, whatever it was. Then it got to be the last day, last possible chance of the year to get this image. And no one could come with me. It was a work day. I jumped in the car. I was in the car driving five minutes after work ended. And it rained on me on the drive. It rained on me on the hike in. I was almost there at the waterfall and this group of guys, young guys was hiking out. And one of them said, looked at me with like really concerned face. He's like, it's almost dark. I'm like, I know I'm well prepared. <laughs> I'm like, that, that is <laughs> the entire the reason I'm here. <laughs> yeah. So I get there. I get my composition all set up. I take my blue hour foreground shot. It's completely cloudy. And I'm thinking like, is this going to be a total waste? I drove an hour and a half. I hiked two miles. I'm by myself in a forest in the dark. And then over the next hour, the clouds dissipated and the stars came out. Wonderful. And I ended up, it was perfectly clear. I got my alignment. I got my shot and I hiked out by myself with my phone playing music so that bears and mountain lions would know I was there. And <laughs> I, hopefully I would not have to use my like satellite communicator to tell my husband I was in trouble. <laughs> That's marvelous. Um, yeah. Yes. So it worked out. And, and I shared that story with the image and I had so many people commenting on it and being like, mm. like, wow, you're so brave to do that by yourself. Or like, how did you make that safe? Like, how did you, <laughs> How was that okay? Or I got a lot of reactions and a lot of feedback, and that's reinforcing. It makes yeah. me want to share more stories. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Are there any photographers that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? I have a list. Good. I knew you'd ask me this one. So, first, I want to focus on women because, as I said, we're a little un underrepresented in nature photography. Yep. And I apologize because I don't generally listen to podcasts. I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name, so I'm sorry if I mispronounce it. But here we go. Uh, Danny LaFrancois, who mm -hmm. runs workshops and uh, is seemingly very successful in her business in Canada. Gina Yeo, similar. Sarah Marino, which I'm sure other people have recommended her. I find her very inspiring as a speaker. Beth Young who does, I would say her images are pretty upbeat, like images of scenes, both small and large, and she focuses on wellness and oh. healing in a lot of her work. Megan Maloney, New Zealand. 
love her work and her stories behind the scenes. Maria Ruggieri, I love her small scenes. Colleen Minnick, who I imagine other people have suggested, and then I already recommended my my friends, the photo gals. So Julie Boyd, Michelle Jacquemet, Marisol Casada. Fantastic. Um, I have a list of guys too. I don't know how many you want here. <laughs> I go for it. We got time. All right, Josh Cripps. I yep. Didn't I? Don't think he's been on yet. No, he hasn't. Um, but I've, I've got him on my list. Yeah. Okay, Richard Martin, like the king of intimate composition. Klaus Klaus Axelsen. I also really love his intimate compositions, and Matt Redfern, who's a Oregon as well. Michael Bellino is a local here. I love his work. Mm -hmm. And Sam Folsom as well. I've been seeing a lot of great stuff from him. And then again, back to Canada, Shane Turgeon, who I love. His story is really inspirational. So. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. I've got one You're more welcome. question, which is the one that everyone wants to know the answer of. Pineapple on pizza. Oh. I'm going to say no. I'm not like vehemently opposed the way some people are, but. Okay. So you won't go yeah, to war. No. <laughs> What's that? You won't go to war over it. <laughs> no, won't go to war. <laughs> Just not my favorite. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, it's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit better, Julia. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Where can people find your work? I am at juliamegan.photography is my website and on Instagram, Facebook, and Vero, I am Julia Megan Photography. Thanks very much. those places. And thank you so much, Grant. It's been great talking with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Julia. Thanks again Bye. for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.